Welcome to the Zico Health Show. This is weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. Here we discuss fitness, nutrition, gut health, alternative medicine, and anything else that impacts your health and fitness. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. So everyone, welcome back to the Zico Health Show. I have a really great episode for you today. I have uh, Dr. Chris Lee, and uh, we're going to get into a lot of good things today. But before we talk, as I promised before, I want to start off every episode to explain my story and why I have the Zico Health Show. So years ago, I, I, I had bad allergies and bad asthma. And every time I asked the doctor, okay, what should I do to get off my medicine? And they had me on Advera, Buterol, and some pills that I still don't remember the name of it. And uh, he would smile and say, just take your medicine. And of course, you know, I took my medicine. But then I started realizing there has to be something I can do because if I don't, if I keep taking my medicine now, or I'm sure I stay taking my medicine now and don't make all the changes, I'm going to be on medicine the rest of my life. And the first book I picked up was from Dr. Stephen Gundry. And it's about, uh, it's called The Plan Paradox. I learned about lectins, which I've never heard about a day in my life. I was really skeptical. I learned about leaky gut, didn't trust it at all. But I started with my knowledge of nutrition at that time, I still wasn't even certified yet. I started making my own changes and I started feeling better. My asthma was getting better. I was taking my medication less. And after starting feeling better, I started to you know, read other books and listen to podcasts like Ben Greenfield and Sean Stevenson. And I picked up tips and whenever an expert come on, I'd read their book and find out and I'll learn about the mind, which is what Dr. Lee and I are going to talk about today and how that affects our health, right? So long story short, it's been um, two years since I've renewed my prescription. And now when I go to the doctor's for an annual checkup, everything's all good. I go about my business. So there are things we, we can do to take control of our health. And that's why I have this Eco Health Show. With that being said, let's talk about the brain with Dr. Chris Lee. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? So, so excited to be here, brother. This is going to be such a phenomenal conversation, especially... I didn't know that little piece of your story that you had like completely like claimed your health back, which I think is one of the most empowering things that you can do is like lead by example and show people like even not without the certifications and things like that, that you were like, no, this is my life, my body, and I'm going to educate myself and empower myself. So dude, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. You know, it's, it's, it's something that is hard to explain to people until they actually experience it. But once you start to feel better and you have more energy, you're like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know this was possible. Now, Chris, I'm going to tell you, I don't even get allergies anymore. If I gave you the long story behind it, I could talk about this for the whole hour. But uh, I'm telling you, I don't even get allergies anymore. The pollen count, pollen count doesn't affect yeah. me at all. 100,000, totally fine. <sighs> there you go. All right. So tell us about yourself, man. How, uh, what's led you to where you are today? Total accident, if I'm being completely honest. Um, I have a story similar to yours, um, but very different in a lot of different ways. I guess the one common golden thread that we can pull is that we both kind of said, this is my life, I am my responsibility. And my philosophies and my belief systems told me that my body's regenerative and it's not gonna create problems that it can't solve. And I looked at the macro of like nature in general and said that nature innately doesn't create problems that it can't solve. 
So this giant mistake of my life kind of started with like a bang as a lot of things do. So I'm a fond believer that the universe kind of, or God or whatever you choose to believe in creates this pathway for you to express your highest potential, right? And innately inside of that pathway, you're met with some resistance, but a lot of them are lessons to help exemplify the innate gifts that you are endowed with at birth. Now, most of us are going to get off that pathway, right? And sometimes like we meander our way back into there and you can recognize those people when they walk into a room. You're just like, man, something about like her, him or her, just you're just like, man, like they're on fire. And I'd always recognize that in other people. And I had always, you know, kind of been outgoing and, you know, I really loved the work that I did. But at the end of the day, I didn't feel completely on fire with my life. So I'm a slow learner. I'll completely admit to that. And I had gotten a lot of messages from, I choose to call it the universe that I was like, hey, maybe this pathway is how you express your innate genius. And I was like, yeah, maybe like after school, right? Like I'll do that after school or like I'll get to it a little bit later. And that was kind of my path. And it all started about a year into my doctorate program when I had listened to some of those little messages and you know, the universe communicates in really mysterious ways with some of these whispers. And then it's like trying to have a conversation with you and then you don't listen to the conversation. Then you get the screams, then you get that push and then you get the shove and then you get the two by four to the back of the head. And I've got the two by four to the back of the head of like, maybe you should go this way, Chris. And I was like, nah, like, I think I got this type of thing. And that was when I found out there's actually a phase after two by four to the back of the head. It's called black SUV. So I just finished up a neurophysiology midterm. To this day, I'm 99% sure that the language that that test was written in does not exist. The professor made it up just to make us all feel bad about ourselves. So like any good 23-year-old was going to do, I went to the local Walmart. I rode my bike there and lock my bike up, go inside, go to the clearance department, get a real, real special $3 bottle of wine, clearance dark chocolate. And I was going to go home, watch friends and cry on the floor because that's just what I was about to do. On the way back... Black SUV moment slipped into my life. So I was bombing down a hill in Atlanta, going about probably 35 on my bike. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw this car blow a stop sign. And it was one of those slow motion moments where I was like, sugar, but I didn't say sugar. And we ended up riding into each other and the kinetic force of it completely knocked me unconscious. They didn't stop. And I was hit into a ditch. I was clipped into my bike. Thank goodness I had a helmet on and everything else. And I was pushed into the weeds and nobody else saw me, except for a homeless man about two hours later. So this homeless man comes over, he sees my bike and then he sees me and he like, is like, sir, are you okay? Sir, are you okay? And I'm like, where, what is, what is going on? And um, I couldn't really talk because I'd had that bad of a concussion. So I'm like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I get myself back on my bike um, with two flat tires and I kind of like coast my way home where I stumble into my apartment with my brother, who's also a doctor. And my brother's like, what the hell happened to you? And I collapse on the floor. So he takes me in and he's, you know, a year and a half ahead of me in school. And we start doing like the internal examination and we make the conclusion after a couple hours of like, we need to take you to the hospital. So get the diagnosis of, oh, it looks like you have a bucket handle fracture, but we can't really tell because you have so much inflammation, which is a really bad fracture in your pelvis. Um, had internal lacerations, bone bruising everywhere. It was, I got hit by a car. They send me home. They say, maybe like nine months, we can get you up and walk in. Hopefully in a year, we might be able to get you out and like jogging or running. And I was like, whoa, whoa. 
I've been a like collegiate athlete my entire life. What are you telling me? Nine months of bed rest? Like, can I go to class? Like, can I do anything? They're like, you need to rest, go home. Here's a bunch of pain meds to kind of deal with all of this. And I was like, God, it just doesn't seem right. So I went home and 10 days went by and I watched my really healthy body deteriorate. But the thing that really started to eat me alive was my own thoughts of like watching all of my colleagues continue to go to class. I'm missing tests. I'm missing exams, important lectures, all of these things. And I'm just kind of stuck in my own thoughts. And that was when I really first started to experience this like play of anxiety, depression, waking up with this over anticipation of like something bad going to happen and then being depressed that I couldn't do anything about it. And that tends to be how anxiety kind of plays in the brain. We worry about something that's not real. And then when it doesn't happen, we withdraw into depression. And that was when that really started to manifest in my life. But it wasn't until day 14 that the next hat actually fell. So I'm laying in bed like I did every day and I get a phone call from a family friend and I'm like, hello. And let's just call him Jim. And I'm like, is this Jim? He's like, yeah, yeah. Chris, 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 are you home? Are you at your same apartment? Do you still live in the same place? And I'm like, yeah, what's up? He's like, I'm coming to your apartment, get your brother home, make sure he's right, right home right now. I'm driving to your house. I'll be there in 20 minutes. And I'm like, okay. And he hangs up and I'm like, what is going on here? So I call my brother who I know is in the middle of this important test. And I call the school. I'm like, can you, I need you to get my brother home if possible. Like this guy is coming over. And I'm like, I, I don't, I'm like kind of worried right now. So I end up getting myself out of bed and my brother comes home and I hear his truck pull in and I hear this other guy's truck pull in and I stand up in like the frame of our apartment in the door frame and my brother opens the door and I see him and I see this gentleman and my brother's sobbing. It's my big brother. And I've never seen him sob before. I've never seen him cry. And he sees me standing up and he turns to me really quickly and he runs over to me and he just holds me strong but gentle type of thing and grabs the back of my head and he looks at me and he says dad's gone so what we later found out is that our dad had bipolar disorder and that he had committed suicide we had no idea this was going on our dad lived down the road from us in atlanta like about 25 minutes it was amazing we got to see him so much because our parents had gotten divorced at an early age like we had been able to like rekindle a relationship with him it was amazing we had no idea that this was going on so with a broken body and now completely shattered emotions and spirit i tried to like navigate through what do you do with grief because if school teaches you everything. It doesn't teach you two things. One, how do I pay my taxes on time? I haven't figured that one out yet. And the second one is really, what do you do with these complex emotions like grief and loss and judgment and shame and the negativity that constantly is swirling around? What do you do with those? And what I realized that the innate force of your mind and brain will do is if it doesn't have the neurological bandwidth at the time of that emotion, it becomes a fixated trauma. And we store trauma inside of the body because the body is where emotions are fully experienced. So thoughts are the language of the mind and feelings are the language of the body. That's a quote from a friend of mine, Dr. Dispenza. A lot of people have heard of him. Super amazing. Love his content. Dude is banging on a different level. So all of this kind of occurred and the depression got worse. The anxiety got worse and my body wasn't really healing. And three months had kind of gone by in the snap of a finger. And that was when the next hat fell. So at the time I was dating a lovely woman and 
she calls me up one day and she goes, hey, we got to talk. And I'm like, okay, it's Wednesday. Like, what do we, we got to talk about on Wednesday? And she's like, I'm going to come meet you. And I was like, okay. And I'm like nervous at this point. I'm like, what's going on? She says, you're going to be a dad. And I was like, okay. Uh, okay. Because I had three years left of school, zero dollars to my name. And dad just passed away. I'm like processing all of these things. And it just keeps stacking and stacking and stacking. And I didn't know how much I could take. So the anxiety became crippling in the morning and the depression became absolutely submissive at night. So at nighttime, what I would do is I would just go drive. That was the only thing that seemed to like make me feel something other than the anxiety and the depression. It was something to occupy my mind. And one day this idea like crept into my head that I could just start over. I'll just, I'll just start over, right? I didn't figure this thing out. And the image that kept coming into my head is like the old Nintendo 64, you could hit the reset button, right? And the screen would go blank and you'd be done. And that was this thing and it was this idea and it consumed me. So I got in my car, pinned it to hundred miles an hour. And I was like, maybe I just like the reset button, right? And you can take that in whatever context that you so choose. And what happened next was a miracle, genuine miracle. I've witnessed not a lot of miracles in my life, but that was one of them. I woke up in Tennessee, unharmed in a Waffle House bathroom at 4.30 in the morning. And there was a woman there who was taking care of me, had no business taking care of me. I had apparently driven myself in this crazy blacked out state of like sobbing my face off in this ideation. And I had passed out behind the wheel crying so hard. If anybody's never cried that hard before, you can talk to some people that have some like real serious depression or PTSD, crying until your blackout's a thing. And that had happened. And I didn't know what happened. I was missing three hours of my life from 1 a.m. until 4. I was like, what, how did I get here? Where's my car? And this lady who's just caring for me as I was like in the bathroom, she's like, you just showed up. Your car is fine. But like, I was getting sick. I was like emotionally purging is kind of what I realized now. And she just took care of me. Like they quite literally closed down this Waffle House to take care of me. And I don't know why. And I haven't honestly been back to go connect with them. And it's something that's very much on my list. But these people showed me just genuine compassion for no reason. So the cook that was in there went to a Walmart across the street, bought me a new shirt because I had gotten sick all over mine, a pair of shorts. And they brought me a warm cup of Waffle House coffee and just said, stay as long as you need. And they brought me a meal and I stayed there for about four hours. And it was in that last hour that like a new idea started to form. And I hadn't experienced this in a really long time, if ever. And it was the feeling of hope, honestly. It was the, it was the feeling of change that I, I, I didn't have to have this life. I didn't have to be here now. And I asked the waitress, I'm like, hey, can I borrow a pen and a napkin? And she gives me a pen and I take out a napkin and I write this declaration to myself that no matter what, I'll be better tomorrow than I am today. And ever since then, I stuck to that promise. So from the day that that happened about five years ago to where I am today, I've created this bridge. And what I started to realize is that all of these things that had occurred to me had wired into my brain over anticipation that bad things happen to me. 
And that was an emotional lens that I wore and saw my reality as. Now, this is a lot of psychology terms. And when I start to go like fix myself, I realized that psychology didn't work for me. I'm a skeptic. I'm a biochemist. You know, I've studied neuroscience for 30,000 hours at this point and all of these other things kind of combined. Psychology wasn't cutting it for me, but the thing that did was neuroscience. So what neuroscience really illuminated to me that mindset, motivation, all these other things failed to do was say that the brain works in similar ways to light switches. They have dimmers, but they also have on and off switches. And that if you have depression and anxiety, it's just that you need to reroute power back to specific areas of the brain, because now you're generating too much power in an area called the amygdala, which is now going to cause this fight or flight response, which is boosting your AM cortisol levels. The AM cortisol levels are causing you to crave carbs because you need instant that. And then your dopamine levels are constantly in like the next present moment. So you're constantly going to crave external validation and all of this. And I was like, this is what I've been looking for. But I was like, yes, that makes a lot of sense, but like, I don't have a 64 lead EEG to constantly monitor my brainwaves. And that was when I really fell in love with biometric testing and neurofeedback because they're at home wearable devices that I can look at long-term patterns and say that on this day, I recognized that I was starting to burn out. And now I can put preventative measures into my life to make sure that I can rewire my brain based on biometric patterns that are very objective because my subjective mind wanted to tell me like, no, you can't do this. Like the mindset behind it, mindset is a side effect of a brain environment, right? So we always talk about mindset, right? Mindset is the seed of potential, right? I think we all know that we are limitless beings and it's just like, cool, how do we get the limitless out, right? Just like an acorn is a mighty oak inside of it. Well, how do you get the oak out of the acorn? Well, you don't go plant it at the beach, you plant it in really nutrient-rich soil. Well, the soil that we need to plant our mindset seed in is the neurology, it's the brain. So unless you can learn to self-regulate, self-soothe, get yourself regulated, frontal cortex back on, get your temporal lobes kind of firing back and forth for creative problem solving, down-regulate the amygdala, start to get more oxygen in specific areas and orchestrate this thing the way that it wants to be, to thrive, the genius will innately show up. And that was the miracle that brought me into the life that I have now. I live in a beautiful South Carolina in my dream home. I am a single father to my extraordinary daughter, Phoenix, and I get to do this for quite literally a living where I teach people the objective science of expressing their genius. And there's not a day that goes by that I'm not grateful for all the trauma that I've experienced because it brought me to where I am today. Dude, <laughs> you just blew me away. <laughs> And that's the, that's the show, folks. And <laughs> that's it, everybody. We're all done. <laughs> no, it's, um, dude, that was powerful because I was thinking about myself as you were talking because a lot of times we don't self-reflect. We speak from, um, or we act from an automatic state. That's like you said in the beginning, right? And we don't realize that a lot of these are, a lot of, we speak from our ego, from, from our ego right? And what we've learned and from a subconscious state. So we'll take an action and think that we're actually making the decision, but it's really your thoughts behind it that's actually making the decisions for you. So when we can stop and learn to reflect on where we are and why we're doing what we're doing, it can make such a huge difference. I've had situations where somebody says something to me and I get upset. And after I get upset, I go home. I'm like, that wasn't even that 
why did I get mad? And I would have to think about what happened in my past that would trigger me to respond that way, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that that story was extremely powerful. I don't even know where to go from here. <laughs> but go, go, dive a little bit um, more into um, brain-based coaching and tell us yeah. if, it, if a client were to work with you, what would they expect? Yeah, so this, this is really phenomenal. So um, a friend of mine who's a neurotranslator, if she listens to this, she's going to know exactly who she is. She's like, everything is brain-based. It's just the door that you open into the nervous system, right? So it kind of depends on like what you're doing. So like even what you're doing is, is brain-based. Everything we do is brain-based. Mine is hyper-focused on like the nervous system and self-regulation. So like you had talked about, a huge chunk of our behaviors are very much like automated. That's what the brain wants to do. It's an efficiency exchange machine. So what happens is if there's like five stops on this road, it wants to be able to get from one to five automatically, right? So sometimes you'll be driving and you're like, I'm driving. How did I get to this point in time? Well, you've automated the task, right? There's literally something inside of your brain called the default network. And that default network is essentially your autonomic nervous system running you. What I wanted that thing to do is run my health because I think my brain can organize and orchestrate my hundred trillion cells way better than I can. However, I can also send it cues and different signals and responses that'll help get it more organized and orchestrated. And it turns out that's exactly where I tend to start with most of my clients is self-regulation. So we need to have like a base point. So what I do that's different from a lot of other coaches is like, we need to measure this thing. And it's always the N equals one equation. What works for me might not work for you, but we don't know until we measure. We can't change what we don't see. So you might think that you're a high performer. And I work with a ton of CEOs and executives and they're like, well, I just want to be a high performer. They're like, I want to be the limitless pill type of thing. And I'm like, you are the limitless pill. You always have been, and you've just forgotten, or you've put a lot of resistance in front of that, which comes from a lot of emotional pain and trauma and a lot of these different things. Because if you ever look at like my daughter, who's three and a half now, like, that child is, she's fully expressed. Like she's ripping. You want to talk about a high performer? She wakes up at 6 a.m. like ready to go. And she doesn't stop until like eight o'clock story time. Like that's high performance. And we were all there at some point in time, right? So when it comes down to that, learning to self-regulate is really, really important. And finding strategies that work for you is so, so important. The other thing for me is I always measure it with my clients. So I always send my clients, my one-on-one -on -one clients, get a biometric feedback device for me, two of them. One is for neurofeedback and one is for longevity, um, like looking. So like if you get a biometric device, you want to look at, is it telling my stuff across time? Can I recognize patterns? Am I crashing? Am I burning? Like, and you look at those types of things. So that's what I teach a lot of my clients to start with is, all right, what's your daily life at right now? And where do you want to go? Because just because you know you don't want to be here right now, when you have an idea of where you want to go, you're putting coordinates in, right? So most people say, I don't want to be here. And then that's the end of that conversation. And then they run a thousand miles an hour in any direction, right? But really they're stuck in the roundabout. When we know and have a vision of where we want to go, we can take the proper exit and start to execute towards that vision. So a lot of people say, I want to have more energy, better health, better relationships. And honestly, I want to get out of bed and love life again. That's one I get all the time. Like, great. So what we need to do is remove some of these emotional traumas that are going on, which has a lot to do with reframing, getting into our body, self-regulation and all of these different things. And then we measure it because meditation and walking and yoga, that works a lot for some people. 
doesn't work a lot for other people as well. So like we don't know until we measure and then it's very much about customizing things. So I have the best worst business model ever is that I love my clients, love them. But at the end of the day, I want them to leave me and never need me again. That's my plan, right? Is like, you have become the scientist of your own life. So when you recognize this pattern now, it's like, oh, wait a second. I didn't sleep well last night. Let me look in my journal yesterday. What did I do? I stayed up until 1030 last night without blue blockers on. Dr. Chris is going to murder me for this. I've been signaling my body through TV that it's the middle of the day through blue light toxicity that's messing with my leptin levels. That's why I didn't sleep well because my body actually didn't hit phase five sleep until 4 a.m. And I got up at six. So I got two hours of sleep instead of like what it said was six. Awesome. Now they can reverse engineer their own high performance. And that's what I want for all of my clients. It's uh, you ended there by talking about sleep. The um, by the time this episode comes out, it's already going to be up. But I have a, I have an episode on um, it's a solo show and it's on metabolic flexibility. Yes. And uh, on that, I get into sleep. There's another episode that I'm going to release soon as well, talking about our upgrading our environment. And in there, I'm also going to include sleep. And on my blog on ZikaHealth.com, I have an article on sleep and resetting our circadian rhythm and how important those things are. And don't, you know, because we, we love the quick fix, right? So we want to go to the store and get melatonin and just hammer our sleep into, into submission, Don't not realizing that that's not natural, right? No. Um, now, I do take melatonin from time to time. If I were to travel yeah. outside my time yes. zone or sometimes on Sunday night to reset my rhythm, I take some small melatonin, but that's about it. I let my circadian rhythm take care of itself the rest of the time. So I like the fact that you ended on sleep there because that uh, def is definitely important. And also, I want to touch on the fact you talked about uh, meditation and walking doesn't necessarily work for everyone. A lot of people realize that if you've had certain behaviors for all your life, when you, you, you're going to get up and start to, if you start to meditate, which is important, and walking and reflect, but that's going to take a long time to reverse. And if we have a mindset of, let's just, let's get this done, I want to, I want to, um, I, I want to change my mind. That thought in itself is an issue. Yeah. So meditation, walking, being mindful is a very important keys for your life. But these are things that take a while. But when you mm -hmm. work with someone like, um, like Chris, right? Is it Chris or a doctor? Or should I go with Chris? Or Chris, works. Chris works. All right, here we go. First name basis now. He's a cool guy. So I'm just going to say Chris. So, you know, I work with, when you work with someone that like that, he, he identifies the patterns and where the actual issues are. Because again, a lot of us are running on autopilot, but when you know, okay, this is what's happening here. If I didn't get in sleep, why did I get much sleep? If, I, if somebody got on my nerves and I, and, and, I, and I, I don't know, went off on him, why did I go off on that person? You know, if, if I'm yelling in traffic, why am I yelling in traffic? You know, once you identify these are the patterns that are causing these things, then you can start to make changes. And one day, you know what? you wake up and realize, hmm, I feel different. Hmm, I slept better last night. Okay, I live in Orlando. People, everybody here drives like five miles an hour, but for some reason, I'm not upset. <laughs> you know? Weird. So, and I, I, I can tell you this because I've had similar changes happen. That was part of my own journey when I was to improve my health, was improving my mindset, and I'm still on that journey. It's not something that's ever going to end. So you've given us some really good information, man. Um, now, let's talk about rewiring our brains, because this is the brain episode, right? Yeah. So 
for the common man, and I'm, I'm a crazy person, so you can't use me as an example, but for the common man, what are some factors that prevent us from rewiring our brain? Oof, self-resistance. This is the big one. This is the hard one. It's the blind spot. I don't that fight it, Chris. It's common man or common woman. I don't common want to leave common us. Out there. Yeah, the people. There we, we go. The common us. I'm with you. Um, so when it comes down to it, rewire is part two. This is where 99, like if you look at the statistics, 97% of personal development fails because they go rewire first. That's so part two. Part one is regulation. You have to learn how to regulate because even if you don't, if you go in and rewire, I give you every concrete strategy, proven neuroscience article, this is what you need to do. The underlying environment is still going to grow weeds, even if you're planting flowers, right? So you might get a couple like spots of inspiration, but you have to learn to self-regulate and you have to pull all the weeds out first. So learning to self-regulate, I cannot tell you how important that is. I work with most of my clients for like a month on that and they feel so much better because we're building up bandwidth. So if you haven't heard of the willpower experiment, they did an experiment in Israel with judges. And what they looked for was how often did they give parole or how often did they have the willpower to do the hard thing when the easy thing was available. And at the end of this study, they had the realization that willpower is very much metered. We only get so much of it every single day. And that as the day went on, they started giving parole a lot in the morning. And this is not, just don't use this against your judges. They gave parole more often in the morning. And then as time went on until lunch break, it was less and less and less and less and less and less until it was right before lunch break. And like, it was mostly gone, right? And then they had a little bit of a break and it went up, but wasn't completely gone. So a lot of this willpower type of thing and trying to like mindset or motivate yourself through it, it doesn't work. Because if you try to rewire your nervous system, most of us don't even have the emotional bandwidth to do that or to stick with it. So we try to make these changes. I want you to wake up every single day at 5 a.m. I want you to meditate, do your affirmations. And then you miss one day, the emotional guilt that you have from missing one day and the inability to regulate your system will set you back the other five days that you were doing all those affirmations. So I'm like, Let's not like go banana sauce over here. Why don't we learn to self-regulate and self-love and self-care, which is like the most powerful, like, you know, electrician in your brain is the ability to have compassion for yourself. I kid you not, like go look at any Eastern philosophy, like the number one thing that like Zen Buddhism teaches and any of those like Hindu religions, all of them, they're like, no, self-love and compassion for others, right? Like co-passion is like the ability to suffer together. And the word suffer comes from a long lineage of like to not have bad. Like we always say suffering is bad, but if you go look at like the transcripts, like it's not bad it's to exist. It's the human condition. And that's a conversation from podcast episode nine, you know, down the road. But learning to self-regulate before you try to go rewire is so important. Things that can help you self-regulate proper stress, right? Exercise, right? That's a really great one. Tons of research is showing that the more you're able to like induce stress through exercise, the higher your stress sensitivity is, which means the more bullshit you can deal with on a daily basis. And there's plenty of that to go around, right? For myself, my stress sensitivity now is stupid high. I can handle a lot of stuff. I have four businesses. I single dad most of the time with my daughter, right? Like all of these different things, I can handle a pretty solid amount now and I can still go to bed and have the willpower available to me because I'm not giving it away to specific things. That all came from self-regulation. And one of the best things is learning to say no. 
Other strategies, learning to properly breathe to build up your sensitivity. Self-awareness is crazy huge. Self-awareness is an occupancy of your frontal cortex. That's one of its function. Long-term planning, executive function, um, and self-awareness. And that means pulling apart you from your stressful stories. So we become so self-identified with the ego because it has become us. So where we experience emotional pain is the same part of the brain that we experience physical pain. And we don't want to experience pain. We want to move away from it. That's what the brain, I want to go towards pleasure, things that are going to help me survive and like reciprocate. And then I want to move away from the things that hurt. Well, now we're such psychological beings that that person hurt me. I'm going to avoid them like the plague. And I'm going to say that they initiated fear inside of me. And now I'm going to create an ego around this concept to make sure that even if they come into my space, I can self-protect with judgment, shaming them, all of these other things. And what that's doing is not protecting them. It's protecting you from you because you don't want to experience that pain again. So the underlying emotional tone is what you really want to change. And that involves peeling and separate away like two pieces of Velcro, you who is calm and peaceful inside of the confines of your mind versus the stories. Because all of the stories, the negative self-thinking, all of those things, that is a byproduct of a fearful, stressed out environment. That's a byproduct of autonomic nervous system taking care of you. And it's doing it in a really great way, right? Because just like I don't touch a hot stove twice in a row, if I go hang out with this person and they burn me twice, like it's like shame on me, shame on you, shame on all of us. Well, shame on me for not taking responsibility for it. So when you're able to come like that resilient and that bulletproof to say like boundaries, right? That's a big one was learning self boundaries. Like that level of regulation, you are bulletproof. No one can mess with you at that point because you're taking all this responsibility for yourself. Now, at first it's overwhelming, but that self-regulation to say, this thing stressed me out. Let me take a little note about that and then do some internal reflection to say, well, where did this first come about? Why did this make me not feel safe? What a part of this story and narrative is my brain creating to give me certainty because the brain thrives on two things certainty and then prediction of the future. And those go hand in hand. So if it cannot predict the future based on your current circumstances, which is what the nervous system automatically does, takes in the information, like right now, people are listening to us and they're taking in information, comparing it to the past to predict the future, to live inside of certainty. When something comes into your life that messes that scheme up, fear is the innate default that it goes to. When we look at successful people, they don't go to fear. They regulate and go to curiosity. That is the distinguishing characteristic of successful people. So when shit hits the ceiling, they're not like, oh my Lord, like, what am I going to do? They go, what can I learn from this? Or what's the opportunity here? Or if this person burned me a second time with relationship, no, thank you. I'm going to put up a healthy boundary there. So th these are all different parts of, of self-regulation. And if I have any uh, kids listening out there, Chris, uh, he apologizes for uh, his foul mouth, just to let you I know. I do. I do so badly apologize for that. My it's bad horrible, friends. Man. Horrible. It's Sometimes horrible. they squeak out. It's like Captain America. Did you just swear? Yeah. Yeah, I'm drinking a little kombucha over here, right? And it, it is a little alcoholic, you know, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm behaving myself. You got to wheel them. So the name of my podcast is called The Healthy Mind Frog. And... Uh, <laughs> I do it basically when my daughter's at nap time or she's sleeping or at school so I can drop the bombs. But for any of the moms out there, I should have gave a disclaimer that I try not to swear, but sometimes they squeak out. 
He's like, I'll just put yes on the next when I uh, when I for the uh, explicit content, I'll just put yes when I upload. Yeah, tag it. that one twice on there. <clears throat> there we go. But the takeaway from this one, Chris said episode nine. So if you're already getting good information, he's going to be on a future episode. Just to let you guys know that. But you did say some really good information. I like the fact that it kind of piggyback to what we were talking before, going to B instead of handling A, right? Because we immediately say, okay, we have a problem, but I'm, gonna, I'm immediately going to try to do these techniques to fix it. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to walk. I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to rewire. But if the underlying issues are not fixed, which is the restructuring part, then those techniques are only going to be basically just techniques, and they're going to be temporary. And that's why you said in, initially you said um, meditation doesn't doesn't work for everyone. Just walking or just breathing or practicing um, self care may not self care, but like mindfulness may not work for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. So that's again why it's so good to work with someone like uh, like Chris because he understands I need to change how you your underlying thought process teach you to love yourself to want to make the right changes instead of looking for a strategy to get to the next step. And again, that just that thought alone is an issue within itself. Um, and then we talk about resilience, dude. I was listening to you and I was thinking about myself. Because sometimes I went, I'm working. And if some, I like to automate a lot of things. Yeah. And that's how I get a lot of things done. And if something comes along that throws it off, I immediately respond with, what the F, <laughs> right? Instead of curiosity, and I may, that may come in later, but I'm gonna try to fight so I don't have to deal with it first and waste a bunch of time, right? So, and even talk, you talked, and I actually wrote this down, I wanted to get back to it. That's tied into, into anxiety and depression mm -hmm. because a lot of times we, we fear something we've never experienced. Yes. So much. And that goes back to the whole restructuring that you said, right? If, you, yes. if you're constantly fearing something just because you've never experienced it, it could be a great experience. You never yes. know what could happen. My best friend and I had a conversation the other day, and it led to me posting on Instagram, not about her specifically, but because a few other people came, said the same thing to me. I cannot stand the phrase, I have anxiety with something. I have anxiety with meeting new people. I have anxiety with, uh, with public speaking. I have anxiety with this. I can't stand that. Because number one, you probably don't have anxiety. There are people out there who truly do have, have a, a big diagnosed anxiety, is number one. Yeah. And then number two, by constantly telling yourself that, you are speaking it into existence. Yes. You know, you, you have anxiety with meeting people you never met. You could meet someone and it becomes your husband or your wife. You know, so you never know what that experience is going to bring you, but you, but by telling yourself you're already anxious about the situation, right? So words are powerful and it goes so back powerful. to be to talk about self-care and, and changing yeah. our mindset and learning those things. So again, Chris, you give me some good information, man. I'm telling you after this is over, we're going to have to talk because I mean, dude, you're, you're blowing me away. Like you really are. So like really quickly, when you affirm those things out into the space where you tell people, um, I have anxiety or I have anxiety with this, there's areas in your brain. We are the only species on this earth that has formal language. It's literally built into our system, right? So like lots of animals have language, but we have formal language properly built into our brain. There's part of the brain called Broca's area where we build language. And then there's a part called Wernicke's where we understand, right? So like 
it's inside of our brain for a very specific reason where you build words in the creative space. And there's something called Hebb's Law. What fires together, wires together. And for any of my neuroscience aficionados, Hebb's Law was improperly named. It was a very, it was a woman who uh, actually founded this and then it was the 1940s. So the men obviously got the name of it. Um, but go look up that story. It's actually pretty solid. Those um, darn men, I tell you. It was dang bad. How dare they? Um, but you know, we're, we're coming back to homeostasis with that, which I'm really happy about. But language is really powerful. It's built into the system. So be careful what you're saying to yourself, because I usually say the things that you say hold the weight of 2x. The things that you feel hold the weight of 10. And the thoughts that you have hold the weight of 1. However, you can't stop the mind from thinking. That's what it naturally does. Like the heart beats, the brain thinks. But when you're able to take a thought and translate it into an emotion, that's where you become powerful because the motivation centers in the brain, inside the midbrain, which is a part of the mammalian brain, um, that's your motivation and action taking center. Well, it responds to emotion, neural peptides, transmitters, those types of things. So when you're able to take a thought and move it into action, that's like F. Scott Fitzgerald's quote, genius is the ability to take a thought and move it to action. I agree all the way down to neuroscientific level. It makes perfect sense. And you know what? I'm, I'm gonna be tread a little lightly when I say this, but a lot of people that I meet or people in my circle who would say I have anxiety, they tend to have a um, victim mindset. Why is this happening to me? And uh, my best friend, we actually, uh, she visited this weekend and uh, we spent a few days together and, uh, you know, we talked and now that she's back where she is, she is, she's practicing a few things that she told me today. She's like, I feel so much more relaxed. Mm. Every time she says to me, she doesn't use the word anxiety with me anymore because she's never been diagnosed with anxiety. But now she told me, we're on the phone today. And she said, I feel so relaxed. I feel like a different person because I told her, stop fearing what you've never experienced before. Yes. And guys, that's just my limited knowledge. I'm not an expert like Chris here, right? That's just my limited scope of what I can do. So imagine if you work with someone who could rewire your entire thought process. And so you can think positively and become that ultimate achiever. Because with anything you do, weight gain, health, everything starts in mind. Basically, epigenetics. There are, you know what? I want to mention this. There is research that shows that when there are times when doctors would say, you know what? You have a year to live. And that person will worry themselves to death and die within six months. And then the doctors will open them up and say, you know, whatever the doctor or the scientists would say, or the coroner would say, you know what, this um, cancer didn't kill this person or whatever the doctor said didn't kill this person. Right. Yeah. But there are people who the doctors have said, would say you have a year to live and they live for 10, 15, 20 years mm. just by changing their mindset. It's called epigenetics. Our minds are extremely powerful. The words that yes. we use are powerful and, it's, and our thoughts are extremely powerful. But if you're in an automatic state where it's always, always controlling you and you're not able to control it and then, like you said, turn it into action, then it becomes dangerous. Yeah, let's, let's have an epigenetic conversation real quick, like real quick. Knock um, it out, so, whatever you want to do, man. Yeah, so Dr. Bruce Lipton is the pioneering research. 1967, he started this research. Dude is a genius, wrote the book, Biology of Belief. Read it. Number one killer in the United States, cardiovascular health. Number one killer in the world, cardiovascular health. What is actually going on with cardiovascular health? Well, turns out heart attack and cardiovascular health is a regulation of cortisol issue. 
here's what happens when we get stressed out. And 88% of stress is psychological now because psychological stress affects the body the same way as if a saber-toothed T-Rex is chasing you. So when you have psychological fear, what happens is you excrete cortisol into the system. And what it does is it begins to mobilize the body into action. What it does at a physiological level is it begins to change the epigenetic expression of 100 trillion of your cells to prime for survival. Now, if most of us live in chronic stress and don't have the ability to regulate, you are constantly living in survival mode, which is very proven on a lot of epigenetic studies. So we used to think that we are our genetics. I am my mom and my dad smashed together and I'm just gambling at what's actually gonna happen. Not true. You express 1% of your genetics. And we used to think the other 99% was junk DNA is what they used to call it. Well, it's actually not true. We express genetic potential through the environment that our cells are in. And Dr. Lipton had an amazing research study where he took a single stem cell and he let it multiply for, let's say, 30 days. And at the end of it, he had 40,000 cells. He took 10,000 cells and put them in this petri dish and another 10 in this one, another 10 in this one. And then he altered the pH in the environment. These stem cells, which had infinite potential, right? Stem cells are not anything determined by their environment yet. He altered the genetic code by changing the environment. These ones grew bone. These ones grew muscle. These ones grew fat. And these ones grew like hair, right? All of these different things. And he was like, oh my goodness. And then he picked them all apart and said, oh my gosh, they're all genetically identical. Is genetics actually the root cause of this? And he found out no. So it's been 40 years, 50 years since he's been doing this now. And it's like, oh my goodness, like not only is he right, but the number one primary signaling ligand, which is like a lock and key mechanism of the cells, is our neurotransmitters based on the electricity that we're sending from our thoughts. Like if you're constantly perceiving an emotional reality that bad things happen to good people because you've had a lot of bad things happen to you that you haven't processed, well, your cells are stuck in second gear going 70 down the expressway and eventually they're gonna get burnt out and they're gonna get burnt out enough to begin to create pathology inside of your body. So all of these things play together. So. What happens to cardiovascular health when this happens? Well, we excrete cortisol, and instead of having all of the blood and nutrients in our brain and viscera, which is our organs, we excrete it to our primary movers. And those primary movers are now engorged with blood, and they have a lot of signal going to them, and they create rigidity because they're constantly ready to fight. Like, imagine being outside and somebody, like, comes to, like, punch you. You kind of, like, brace and get ready. That's your body when it's stressed out. It's constantly bracing because psychological and physical fear act on the same centers in the brain and we have the same response. So if you're wondering why I got that low tight back in my 20s or my 30s or my 40s, but I'm like healthy, well, your body is probably constantly in this 10 step motion or you're sitting all day or all these other things are having that effect cardiovascular health, you're not meant to pump blood to those primary movers all the live long day. Most of the blood should be in your gut. Like 60% of the blood should be constantly like filtering nutrients and going through your like different systems. And like, it's, you know, the kidneys, the livers, like everything inside of like that gut that you have is supposed to hold a good percentage of your blood. And then the rest of it fired up to that brain of yours to get shit done, get stuff done. Get all these different things done. I'm crying so hard over here, but to get all these different things done. So cardiovascular health, yeah, cortisol squeezes and causes vasoconstriction of all of our different um, 
over different vascularities. So when you do that, it creates rigidity, just like it does in muscles, all of your veins and arteries are also smooth muscle. So when you constantly have cortisol, it's constantly acting on that smooth muscle. And when it gets rigid, it doesn't have the ability to flex, it creates scarves. And the scars are where LDLs can actually like create plaque buildup, right? And then we have cardiovascular health, triple bypass at 45, I'll have some of that, right? When they're on a healthy diet and all these other things, I don't know what went wrong, doctor. Well, you're constantly stressed out there, homeboy, like gotta get yourself regulated and like chilled out and like go for a walk on the beach and stuff like that. Like, I can't tell you how many people like, oh, I went on vacation and like all my health problems went away. And then when I came back, they all came back. Welp. It was because you were stressed and then you weren't stressed and then you went back to stress because your signals from your environment are telling your cells what to do. Exactly. And then, you know, dude, that's really, really strong because that's one of the hardest things to explain to people. It's really one of the hard things, especially in the society that we live in today. I always say that the common, let's say, I'm going to say Americans because we live in the U.S is expressed to is um the common american experiences about five six stressors before they wait before they get out the door or start their day right that's right. within the first hour let's say so they the first thing is their alarm goes off and it's like eh, 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 and it kicks you out of sleep and you're probably in the middle of REM sleep at that time and you wake up and your mind is already going like what what's really going on you want to throw the alarm away because you want five more minutes that's the first issue then you're like okay how much time do i have that's not stressor if you have kids, you know, then, you know, you have to get them ready. So that's not stressing. You got to shower. And if you have a husband like me, then you'd have another child you have to deal with. So, you know, you have all these things that happen within the first hour. And you're like, and if you drive in Orlando, everybody drives five, 10 miles an hour. You're screaming at traffic. You get at work and you've already, your cortisol levels are just skyrocketed, right? Your stress levels are skyrocketed just so early in the morning. And then you're like, hmm, I eat a salad for lunch every day. Why can't I lose weight? Or hmm, why is my blood pressure so high? You know, man, I'm like, dude, like, it's, it's a lot of things that we just, we just don't talk about. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's, it's something, as we have these discussions, we learn more and we'll adjust. We, we, we should be able to adjust more. Even so, COVID environment, I've always told people, I said, look, I'm not a doctor. I'm not Dr. Fauci. I'm not telling you what to do with your life. What I'm going to tell you is, guess what? You can go outside. You can go for a walk and stay six feet away from people. I mean, my dude, Sean Stevenson, posted something on his Instagram, and I really loved it. The, the, the doctor actually said, I think the doctor or scientist actually said, when the second string COVID came out, it's so bad that if you were to go outside, you're putting yourself in front of a firing squad. I'm like, what? <laughs> you're literally telling people this? Do you know how much fear you put in people's minds when you tell them you're putting, they're putting themselves in front of a firing squad? I mean, come on, man. Fear is governing in us and it's, it's running us crazy. And then we're one, like, I'm not saying that if we, we can wish COVID away, that's definitely not the case. But by putting more stress on yourself, you guess what? You're weakening your immune system. You are increasing, you're, you're, you're increasing, you're constantly increasing your cortisol levels. It's hard for you to lose weight. And I posted something the other day that 74, according to the CDC, not from me, according to the CDC, 74% of people or 76% of people hospitalized with COVID are either overweight or obese. Yep. Think about that for a second. Our body weight, because if our body weight, by having excess body weight, we're actually creating excess inflammation. Yeah, so there's, there's just every single study under the sun that says that. If you're overweight, you're at risk for 
everything. Everything, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, but then we, it's, this is again, it's why I have this show. And this is why I'm treating, and this is why I bring people on like you, man, because you, you, you're crushing it. I definitely want to have you on in the future, by the way. Let's get weird. Love to do it. All right. All right. Let's go. So um, let's talk about uh, when we get bored, right? Because Mm -hmm. I'm a type A person. And if I'm not jumping off the walls, uh, like before this podcast, I jumped around on my trampoline for like 10 minutes. So if I'm not jumping off the walls, there you go. I get bored, right? So what are some ways to, when our routines, that's our daily routines get boring, what's happening there? And what are some ways to overcome that? Yeah, so the brain is a learning machine. Um, I highly recommend having a Sunday reflection practice to see if you are still achieving your goals. So your routines should help move the needle towards your goals. That, that should be like the entire motivator of that. If you want to be healthier, faster, smarter, more compassionate, better relationships, emotionally built, whatever it is, your routines should support that. And I hope that your routines get changed to meet your goals. So when people get bored with those things, either the brain has met its capacity and it's no longer stimulating, or you've like, your brain has gotten to the point of like mastery or what your brain would call mastery. And it's just no longer stimulating to it. Or the second part of that really gets down to, well, you've achieved that goal or your goals need to be reevaluated because you've moved into a new season of your life. Those are typically the two things that really come into it. So when your routines get boring or you've kind of like, ah, I don't know if this is like really hitting it for me anymore. Great. Tell me what your goals are. What are like the five that you're trying to achieve this month? What are your routines that are helping you move the needle in that direction? And if you're bored, I would imagine that there's something inside of your system that is ready to be expressed that maybe the healthy body that you were trying to get, or if you're trying to do like the the whole beach body, you're trying to be like competitive fitness right now, that maybe that just isn't your season of life. So it really depends on where it is. So like right now, my like workout routine is like, very simple. Like I, I, very simple. I work out three times a week for 25 minutes a day. And then the rest of the time playing with my daughter and doing all those fun things. So in doing that, I know the season of life right now is not the one where I shred down to 12% body fat and I'm like killing it. However, I also know that I'm really good with my diet and nutrition. That's the thing that I want to really sustain to make sure that I'm not putting an excess weight on it. Cause I'm still extremely physically fit. And I'm like, 18% body fat, still have a really nice body, things that I like. And I do that and contribute that a lot to nutrition. So this for me was the season of life that I cook a ton and I love it. My daughter loves the food and we have like a really great healthy seasonal diet here. And that's the season of life for me right now. And it came down to an evaluation of what are my current values? Are those values feeding into the goals and the person that I am choosing to become or remember that I am? And what are my routines that are supporting that? They all play hand in hand together. You know what? You just blew my mind though, because um, when I was training at the gym, I realized that a lot of times we would try to overcome boredom by pushing through it and going harder. But you say, no, stop and reflect and see what's causing boredom, right? Are you meeting your goals? What season of life are you in? And that's important because it goes back to what you said before, self-care versus rewiring your brain. We want to start at pushing through, rewiring our brain, changing our actions, but we're still not at the forefront of self-care and re- and, cha- and actually dealing with the underlying issues that we have, yes. right? So like, that's very important. A's, Sorry? Our type A people, our type A people, this is like their motto is that 
they are going to disguise or like suppress emotional trauma with healthy habits, right? So like they have some stuff that they like need to process and what they're really good at doing is like, oh, I started, uh, started working out or I started like training for this marathon or this triathlon or this, or I opened up a new business or this new thing. And it's like, yeah. And like that innate action isn't wrong. But my question for you is like, is there something underneath that, that you're like suppressing with like healthy habits? And that's like, where we can kind of step in and say, cool, you're doing something healthier, yet your HRV index is crashing. Your system is under attack. You got something emotional in your body that wants to be expressed, my friend. Get a box of tissues. Come have a cry with Dr. Chris. That's right. You know, there's a, um, what's it goes about Marley's song? It says, uh, no woman, no cry. Right? Yes. <laughs> that oh. Like uh, growing up, I grew up in Jamaica. And if I told you yet, we're on a first name basis. We should know these things about We should other. know these things. That's right. You know, we're best friends now, apparently. It so happens. The, um, it's. We have a culture of men should be strong, men shouldn't cry, men shouldn't ex- expose, um, what's the word, show emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I grew up with that mentality, always trying to be the best, always pushing to be the top. If something bothers me, I might yell about it, but I yell about it by myself and I go about my business. And it took about 20 years of realizing, what am I doing to myself? I'm always shaky. I always feel like I have to do something to distract me from the other thing that I was just doing. And if I sit down for five minutes, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know what, you know, it's, it took me a long time to get to there. And that's something that because of how I was brought up, which I love my parents, they did a great job, but that's just how our culture is. And I've spending a lot of time now redoing or rechange or changing the things that were taught to me in the past that weren't necessarily best for me. Yeah. And that's, and that's phenomenal. Like I, I had a single mother who like raised me and my brother to be the badasses that we are. And like they, our parents are always operating. Like everyone is at their highest capacity. I truly believe that. Right. And the reason that people are like, quote unquote, good or bad, you don't know what they went through to like be where they're at to like call you names or things like that. So like people are always trying their best. And like, sometimes it's like for you in the future and you don't know that. So like, sometimes you get these traumas and it's like, well, I don't know. Well, sometimes it's okay to take that spiritual approach and say, maybe this isn't for me right now, but like, I can kind of return to that. And like, you know, there's a ton of different avenues that you can choose to believe to empower yourself. Yeah. It's kind of like when Thanos wanted to, you know, redo the universe. You don't know what he went through. I don't know what kind of childhood he had. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna snap my fingers. I'm gonna redo this world, and let, let's see if we can uh, do a better cha- better job this time. You know? Yeah. Let me see that HRV index, bud. Like, are you doing okay? You want to talk about some stuff? You feeling okay? That, you know, they should have made a like a um a light a Thanos size one of those um what's it what's it called uh the the thing that you use the uh oh, the probably, EEG yeah the EEG they should make a Thanos size one right that would have been awesome mm-hmm. for him. I the think God that helmet yeah it won't be like the gauntlet it'll be the God helmet. Right. It's like it wouldn't there wouldn't have been an Avengers, though. So then that would have been a different issue. Yeah, but um, part six. But there we go. We talk now we want to talk about we've, we've been we're talking about ego, we're talking about intuition and we're going to get into emotions now. Right. So I remember on your Instagram, you posted and I'm going to quote this because I actually wrote this down. We live in a world that pushes us to project our emotions into the future and never forgive our past. Mm. That sounds so powerful. And I want you to elaborate on that. Yeah. So 
in fear, the goal of the system is to project yourself out of the current moment because it's painful, right? That's what it really wants you to do because it's pattern recognition software. It's taking in stimulus, comparing it to the past. And if it recognizes something from the past that's matching your current circumstances, it's going to take that anxiety of the past and create worry about the future. So you're constantly living between the past worry that already occurred, things that you can't change, and things in the future that are yet to occur. And that's what the ego does. That's what the fear does. That's what all of these different social complexes do. And it's an, an effort to have you not suffer in a lot of different ways, right? So I touch the hot oven, oven's hot, don't touch the hot oven a second time. However, the next time that we go into those things, we need to recognize that the emotional pain that we're experiencing is doing the same exact thing. And that that emotional pain that's like rocking through is hitting that same complex. So like hot hand on stove, bad. And then the emotional pain that comes with, well, mom didn't show up to my soccer game or dad didn't show up to my soccer game. It's hitting those same emotional pains. And in knowing that our system's constantly prepping with fear, anxiety, and worry to like, oh, I don't want to re-experience that. So it's never living in the present moment. And living in the present moment is just being okay with where you're at right now. So like being here with you and having like focus and concentration, I'm in my body and I'm experiencing my emotions. And the reason that I'm able to be in my body, quote unquote, and feel things is that I was able to create safety, right? So this is one of the things that comes down to self-regulation. This is like polyvagal theory all playing, playing together. So polyvagal theory, you didn't ask for this, but we're going into it anyways. Polyvagal Later. theory is something from Dr. Porges in the 19, 1995, I think is the correct date. Somebody else go out there and correct me on that date. Dr. Porges is not a therapist. He's not a counselor. He's not a psychologist. He's a researcher. He's a doctor. And inside of his research, he discovered that there's systems inside of uh, cranial nerve 11, which is our vagal nerve, um, that self-regulates emotional and social connection and also creates fear inside of the body. And he dubbed this polyvagal theory. So the different polyvagals come down to a single vagal nerve that comes out of the brainstem and it goes down through the body and it connects to a lot of different viscera, including our heart, our lungs, our gut, our intestines, our kidneys, and a lot of different these things. So this vagal nerve, vagus means wander, the wandering nerve connects to a lot of different things in our body. And the tone of that nerve or the lack of tone in that nerve determines our physiological safety or the ability to feel connected. Now, the nerve splits at the diaphragm. So the diaphragm is where your rib cage is and it works kind of like a balloon. It creates negative pressure, which allows you to breathe. And it creates a ventral vagal nerve, which that nerve is very new. It's about 200 million years old. And then a dorsal vagal nerve, which is about 500 million years old. So the dorsal vagal nerve has about double the amount of time to create faster synaptic connections to allow us to survive. So the dorsal vagal nerve is that fight or flight response, right? It's like, oh, that thing's like about to kill me or like, what's that noise in the bushes? But again, we respond to psychological fear the same as we do with physical fear. So that pathway is very, very fast. Now, what we want to do is empty out the bucket of emotions that most of us carry around. We want to dump, dump that out and process it, right? Which those emotions are stored in the body again. And most of us have hit our like limit. The cup is full and we want to process, right? Dump it out to make room for the good. So when we get good emotions, happiness, joy, love, we process them very quickly. We want to experience them. 
but we've been so trained that sadness, grief, all those things are bad and that they create uncertainty and therefore danger in the body that we lock them in, we suppress them into the body and we never give ourselves the ability to experience them. However, if you wanna see the really happy people in life, they've processed all their traumas and now their cup is filled with a lot of capacity for good. And they usually turn that around to go serve other people. Like look at Tony Robbins or like look at Mel Robbins or look at all of these other like monks that are going around. Sean Stevens, like all these guys have gone through some stuff and they've processed their emotions and they've made more room for good. And they've created so much room that they want to spread their good now. That's what it really comes down to. But in order to feel that good and to process and dump out those negative emotions into the soil where they can be fully absorbed wherever you want them to go and not just dump them into another cup, you need to experience safety, which is feeling that sense of like gutted rootness. Um, it's like satiation is the way I kind of describe it. Like you ever have like that Thanksgiving dinner with grandma and you're like, you ate so much food and you're just like, oh, oh my gosh, like what? And oh, there's pie one more slice, right? And like that feeling of fullness, that's kind of what the feeling of safety is, right? It's like feeling that embrace or like when you like cuddle with your boo and you guys just get that moment where you both just kind of like, huh, and you both just kind of like relax, like every dude and every person that's like been big spoon has like have felt that where the person that they're cuddling just goes, huh, they feel safe. You need to create or learn how to create that level of regulation to process those emotions and that all happens, all emotional goodness and processing happens in the present moment, which means you can be worried about that, but not be the worry. You can have anxiety or see the anxiety of the future, but not be that. Peeling apart the Velcro allows you to maintain vision of you as the observer of the experience and the experience, right? When you're able to separate those two things, that's where you get empowered. Because most of us associate with the anxiety. I am anxiety. I have that versus that's something that has occurred. When you're able to step into that power of the present moment and say, those things occurred. I am ready to process them, which is what your innate system wants to do. That is where you like live through your God-given sovereignty to make choice and live in the moment. So disconnecting from the past, disconnecting from the future, not completely ignoring them as if they're not there, but dropping into the present moment and saying, like for me, some shit happened. Dude hit me with a car, lost my dad to suicide. Those things suck. Awesome. Let's process them. Hey, therapist. Hey, coach. Hey, you know, punching bag. Whatever you got to do that works for you, go process those emotions. And like, I would say that the hardest one, at least for me to process, is anger. I always associate with anger was bad. And I am such a non-confrontational being that I went to like an anger, it was an, they call it an anger management session, but you essentially go in this room and they just have like plates and a baseball bat and tables and they just say, break shit and stuff. Oh, so close to it, so good. Ah. And you just go in there. It's too late at this point, it's too late. And you go in there and break stuff. And it was the most cathartic moment of my entire life. Because all the anger I had at my dad for like leaving, all the anger I had at that person for hitting me the car, all the anger I had for like, you know, all these other relationships and all this stuff, I got to like let the cat out of the bag in a nice safe environment. And those charges, I dumped out the cup. The next day was quite literally one of the best data speaking days of my entire life. All my statistics, oxygen saturation, HRV index, sleep, everything, tense, all of it. I was like, well, that's interesting. And ever since then, like a lot of things that used to hold these negative charges, they're no longer there. I don't care. 
You know what? We are similar in a lot of ways. I uh, I I don't like to I don't like to I don't like to make people mad. And that's uh, because I, I try to avoid anger, right? I'm like, you know, I'll say my piece. And then if you say something and I have a problem with it, I'll probably just, you know, I'll probably say something again, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to go back and forth. I'm not going to create that um, dissension, right? And I have to realize that I'm, I'm a people pleaser. And that's something that I've mm-hmm. been working on over the years is why am I a people pleaser? Why? Because eventually someone's going to say something to me and I'm just going to snap. And I'm not going to go and I'm not, I'm not going to go around shooting a bunch of people, or at least I haven't yet, but you know, it's, and then, you know, but you know, it's more of like, it's, it's sometimes I somebody would say something, I get mad at them. Yeah. And then I would, I would stop and say, why did I get that mad? That, what that one person, what that one person said or did wasn't that bad, but I've been mm-hmm. building up this angle over time because I've spent so much a waste, so much of my time people pleasing instead of dealing with the issues that I've had at that time. So yes. I, you and I have a lot in common, except you way better at dealing with your issues than I am. <laughs> and you, you probably someone that. I need to work with, but um, you're definitely right. But the, it, it all starts with recognition. You know, I had um, a coach on my episode one time and we talked about AA meetings. And when you go to AA meetings, they want you to say, I'm Nerado Powell, I'm an alcoholic. You know, yeah. they're not going to stop you if you don't say it, but it's just, it's important to, 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 to say it out there, put it out there. This is why I'm here. I'm here for yeah. actual help, not to identify alcoholism necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. So recognition is always the first step. Instead, again, jump into B instead of dealing with A. Yeah, but, it's, it's so important. And like, just like you had mentioned, I, I had been to, I, I'd gone to Al-Anon um, for about two years. And one of the quotes that really stuck with me from one of those meetings was that I'm not mad at you. You're in the way of my anger. And I was like, Ooh, girl, like, Oh, that's so, Oh, that's nasty. True. I'm not mad at you. You're in the way of my anger. Oh, and it puts you back and responsibility mode of like, great. Cause if I'm mad at somebody, it's their fault. And I am therefore the victim of them making me angry and I can't do anything about it versus Something inside of me is mad at you, but there's something inside of you, which is a version of me that I am mad at myself about that I'm projecting onto you. And in that way, I can claim responsibility and say, thank you for being a vessel of light, you flaming turd. I'm going to go home and do some work on myself now. Uh, thank you for being an asswipe. <laughs> See, look who's doing it now. Oh, it's I know, you did it to me, man. You messed it's it contagious. You messed me up. You messed Tell me you up. what, I... these conscious coaches out here. <laughs> I know, right? I can only behave myself for so long. That's so, yeah, I'll tell you what, co-regulation. So we're going to have, uh, I'm going to have Chris on a future episode. There are a couple of things I did want to ask him, but we could, we could basically, this episode will go on forever. When yeah. I say forever, probably till the end of the night. So sure. we're, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up here, but I'm going to say, Chris, what are some ways, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the best way you can get in touch with me is go check out my Instagram. Um, I have a ton of content on there anywhere on social media. My handle is at Dr. Chris Lee. Um, and I'm really excited. I actually just launched uh, an awesome community called Wired for Worthy. Um, and this community is all focused on the stuff that we've been talking about mixed in with a ton of practical tips. 
Um, and I made it hyper affordable so that everybody has access to this information. So if you guys are interested in being a part of that community, it's called Wired for Worthy. Go check out the link in my bio to get some more information on that. Um, but already, you know, we've got a ton of people in there and we've already had crazy results with people like using these systems and like that didn't work, but it sparked the idea inside of me to reroute and now I'm regulated and my life is completely transformed. Um, so I'm super excited about that. And then, you know, I got a podcast that floats around on there, which we're going to have our man on there here pretty soon. But um, all my stuff's on Instagram, or you can hit me up on my website, which is Dr. Chris Lee as well. Doctor is fully spelled out on that one because I have not quite got the, the domain name on that one. Somebody has a, some dude named William has the, does the DR. Oh, uh, come on, man. I was like, bro, he's like, you want $20,000 for it? And I was like, I'm not mad at you. You're in the way of my anchor. I was just about <laughs> to say that. I was literally just about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you've done to me, man. So yeah, and um, the um, his contact information will be in the show notes and also in the description of the podcast, so you guys can easily access that as well. I I highly recommend going to in, going to his Instagram and following Chris because every day he posts something different that makes me stop and think. And I really stopped this guy on Instagram really and said, "Dude, I want you on my show. You have to be on my show." And I wasn't gonna take no for an answer. I would have flown to North Carolina myself. Well, I don't we're know, not north that far south, away. Right? We're like six hours away. I'm in like I'm like right next to Savannah. Ah, you're north, right? Yeah. No, okay, south. Oh, you're south. See, I would have gotten lost. I wouldn't know where it was. See, we would have been in the wrong state. We would have figured it out. We figured it out. All right, buddy. But thanks, man. This is awesome, dude. And um, we'll. Uh, I'm having on a future show. I can't talk anymore. A future show. All right. Okay, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Zico Hell Show. If you got good quality content out of this episode, save, subscribe, and share it out there with family, friends, coworkers, or anybody who needs to hear this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.